welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at movies that could never get onto the IMP 250 by virtue of genre classification. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and I'm very nervous about this movie we're talking about today, which is the 2019 Diego Maradona. I'm nervous about it for three reasons, but luckily I have three co-panelists to help me figure this out. First of all, I'm nervous because this is a movie about soccer. Luckily, my co-host, Andrew Quinn, is an expert in soccer. How are you, Andrew? <laughs> oh, yeah. 100%. Totally. Um, I'm confident, Darren. Very. Um, we'll get through this. It's okay. Like a, 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 you know, a movie needs to, you know, stand on its own two feet. I think um, there's lots of movies that we've watched about things that you're not intimately familiar with. But everybody, every, everybody when they hear soccer, they're like, oh, sport ball. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't understand it. Yeah. There, there, there's, is there a sense that you identify as a person who's not interested in, in football and, and that this threatens that? No. To be fair, we did watch a United Passion, which was the uh, UEFA biopic. We did amazing, an amazing film, one of the great cinematic films. <laughs> I feel like I learned everything that I needed. Pada pada. Everything that I needed to know about the sport, I learned in that movie that takes place entirely in meeting rooms, but somehow cost thirty million dollars. Fairly comprehensive, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but it's okay. And the second reason I am nervous is because this is a, our third episode of our back to school season looking at the films on the irish leaving sir curriculum but it's okay because we've got another panelist who is an expert in that the fantastic connor murphy how are you connor not too bad lads not too bad I spent the whole day sharpening my chalk ready for aiming at little students <laughs> i'll be aiming at a wasps just to get it right so i got a few stuck into the walls so i'm quite happy with that if you can pin it in the wall that's yeah i like it, 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 yeah i don't hit the students i just try to pin them against the wall as well so i'm, I'm getting nice and sharp that's what I spent the day doing. So yeah, very happy with my yeah. day's work. I have a feeling this mini series will come up in your next evaluation in some <laughs> form or other. Um, and the final reason that I'm a little bit anxious talking about this movie is because we are, what, 340 episodes into this podcast, weekly releases talking about movies. I've started to feel a little bit comfortable with that. This is the first time that we'll be talking about a documentary film because they have been excluded from the IMV list and we are only covering it because we are covering a season off the list. But we have a fantastic guest joining us for this discussion. Documentarian filmmaker, the director of Katie, the director of Between Land and Sea, the commissioning editor of uh, Film Ireland, I believe. Is that still accurate? Oh, no, I, that's no longer accurate. That was quite some time ago. God, where was? Where did you read that? Okay. I'll, <laughs> I will, anyway, no bother. No bother. I, I used to do that. that. Yeah, I used to do that. Also, second in the long jump. Yeah, it was fourth, I think. <laughs> so, it was fourth. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for bringing that up. Uh, but the fan fantastic documentarian filmmaker, uh, Ross Whitaker. How are you, Ross? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me on. No, our, our pleasure. Great to have you, Ross. Yeah. So before we begin, as we've been doing this season, we've been asking guests to remember their own Leaving Cert experiences. For We have an international audience and we just want to capture a sense of the traumatizing formative experience that is the Irish Leaving Cert. Do you remember what you studied as part of your English? Yeah, I remember I remember doing King Lear. I remember that being pretty amazing. Um nice. and essentially kind of learning the entire thing off and quite loving it. Um I loved English, absolutely loved it. It was it just felt so different to everything else in terms of the depth of thought. I remember we did Julius Caesar for the what was then the intercert. Other than that, I'm struggling 
to remember what else we did to be honest it's quite <laughs> quite some time ago guys sorry but um yeah a lot has happened since and but i yeah i loved english um it was brilliant and once it got past english i i think i lost interest in the exam so the 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 leaving cert didn't work out maybe as well as my parents hoped and english is like the opening to put this in perspective yeah. <laughs> english is the big opening it's the blockbuster friday evening kind is of it? as i recall now connor can correct me if i'm wrong i do remember english being an early paper right yeah english irish maths it's an yeah. early paper it's typically it's the first one yeah. yeah the first it was back when i think the, the four of us said it, it would have been the first the Wednesday would have been English paper one and then the Wednesday afternoon English paper two. They kind of moved them around a little bit, but paper one in English is always on Wednesday still because it's nice and relaxed. You've got to pack them in. Because it's the best subject and they yeah. let to relax the students in so they're not too stressed. Yeah. I wonder, Ross, did you do something like Emma or Playboy of the Western World or one of those? Because it sounds around the same time I did my inter and then the evening. So I was just wondering if those could... I remember we did, um, yeah, we did like American modern, modern novels. So we did The Pearl... What else did we do? We probably did some Hemingway. God, that's this is horrendous, isn't it? And drawing complete blank. It was blank. a long time ago. It was a long time ago. I can't remember ago. what, I, yeah, I can't remember <laughs> the, the specific other texts other than, uh, well, I liked, like I said, I loved the exam so much I did it twice because I really, uh, I wanted the sequel <laughs> to get the sequel in there. Didn't, we didn't, I didn't go for the full trilogy, just the, I just did the two films, or the, yeah, the two, two, two sittings, um, Hamlet and King Lear, but I can't remember which order. Yeah, no, I loved yeah, yeah. the American novel. We did, we kind of did a lot of focus on on a couple of American novels. I remember that, and and just deeply into that. We had a great teacher actually, and I, I mean, I suppose that's everything, isn't it? It's it's having that person that has that passion. It just you then take that up, and and uh, yeah, it just I guess English just felt different to everything else in, in the depth of thought, as I said, and 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 being able to look at those tes- texts and and um. I suppose be challenged by a good teacher as well and in terms of yeah I suppose challenging your intellect and and um I've probably taken that with me ever since and in terms of what I've been interested in culturally and so on so uh so yeah I did love it but uh I can't really remember it 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 is a subject that draws inspiring, life changing teachers. <laughs> yeah, or, or me, uh, or me. Yeah, I think one of the two categories. Um, so the yeah, I, I was I, I was thinking um, in terms of a double bill, Connor. Um, is it Ham Lear or is it King Hamlet? <laughs> how do you uh, how do you order Ham, those two? Together? What's the Barbenheimer order? <laughs> Ham yeah. Lear, I think, would be work better, wouldn't it? Learless, learless, kinglet. But we are watching. Uh, so we're talking about Diego Maradona, directed by Asifa Capita, the third film in his trilogy of documentaries, including Senna and including Amy. And before we jump into talking about the movie, I think this came up in conversation, whether casually or maybe last week when we were kind of segueing into this. But Connor, like as an English teacher. Do you have any thoughts about the inclusion of a documentary on the curriculum? Would you teach it on the on the curriculum? Is it something that you have thoughts about before we ask Ross? <laughs> Set me up. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I would. Okay, so I would never teach a documentary at Leaving Cert. I would never teach a documentary probably for the Junior Cert either. But I might look at documentaries. And I have looked at doc- documentaries in first year when they're about 12 or 13 for your international audience and again in ty when they had the kind of the, the the gap year between the two i've taught it then as well and the reason i was trying to work out how what's the succinct way of giving you the reason why i don't do this and there's no real succinct way so i'm going to have to leave the gaps but in general 
as a teacher, you're doing two things. You're trying to teach the student. You're trying to teach the exam. So when I'm teaching film and all the other texts, they're all fiction. Um, there might be some memoir in there as well. So this is that's the, 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 the flaw in my argument. But most of the time, they're, they're fiction. And I can teach them in that relationship with each other. And I can teach film. Now, you don't have to teach the amount of depth that I teach film, for instance, for the comparative that two of you did. Ross, you didn't do the comparative. would have been new to you. Um, so in the comparative, you only really need like the story and the characters of some themes. That's all you need. So you can quite easily teach a film like Diego Maradona. But to teach that properly, from my perspective as a teacher, I'd have to go into all the detail about documentary. And for me, if I was doing that, I'd be veering into kind of more of a history class and more of about uh, sources and how the sources are picked, et cetera, et cetera. And it would be a different um, educational experience that isn't necessarily part of my English teacher job. <laughs> so that's, if that makes sense. And we talked about this last week, but because I'm somebody who likes lists, having organized a podcast based around the list, I went back and I looked at the curriculum in English since 2000, 2010-ish. And there has been a documentary on there since, I believe, 2018, where it's been, it was Stop at Nothing, the Lance Armstrong story for three or four years. And then they obviously replaced it with this Diego Maradona, which has been on for three years now. Is this a new thing in terms of the, the English curriculum? Was As a teacher, were teachers surprised to see a documentary come in here? Was it discussed? Was it radical? Was it controversial? <laughs> Very surprised. And yeah, a little bit controversial as well. So like I said, we would have been as teachers dabbling in documentaries every now and again, especially uh, before the Leaving Cert. But the Lance Armstrong story was the first one to appear. And since then, they've appeared in the official lists for the junior cycle as well. I think there are three or four. Uh, his and hers the furthest and man and wire i think Ooh, wow. are three of the ones on the junior cycle and that's a whole different that would you'd have to oh my god if we were to speak with that we'd be speaking for about three or four hours on the on the ramifications of that for all sorts of reasons so when it came on it was it was a bit of a bolt from the blue people didn't really know what to do and um, just like film when film came in first it was a bit different people didn't really know what to do with that and then when this came on the same thing but like i said if you're teaching to the exam it's very straightforward because they're, they're stories, they're narratives, and you can you can look at them as, as a pure narrative and they'll work absolutely fine in, in that respect. Um, but like I said, some of us, you know, we may not be inspiring teachers, but we do want to <laughs> fill in the gaps a little bit more. And I just don't think that I have the time to do that as a in my classroom. So that's why I don't do them. And Ross, as a, as a document... You, oh, you, you don't have a special... Um special guest co-host come in like the history teacher <laughs> you see i was going to get onto that i, I don't know where it was but there's i, I read a book I've, i got his name is a french guy alain bergala and he reckons so film only appears at the moment in english that's the only place it is there are little touches of smitherings or smatterings i think in irish uh, but it's not a major part of it in english is the only one and then they've got a new course coming out drama film and theater oh. where it'll be kind of reduced down with drama um, Bergala <laughs> wrote a book exactly it's, there's no place for it on its own I, yeah, fair, so anyway Bergala's theory is that film should be everywhere everywhere so there should be a film bit in English we can look at the narratives and all sorts there should be a natural film course as well maybe media studies film should have a definite section in French definite section in history and everywhere should have a film section and if we did that then there wouldn't be any problem then documentary can quite easily go in a number of different places and we get the job done but unfortunately at the moment it's not it's only english wow ross that's an interesting okay. idea sorry 
No, go ahead. Yeah, just to pause that for one second. I've always said, I don't know if I've said it here before, but at secondary school is a filmmaking machine if you really wanted to do it. You could have your English class writing it and maybe directing it. You have your drama students acting it out. You have the, the metalwork and the woodwork making the dollies and all that kind of stuff. You have the science department doing the special effects. You have the home ec department doing the costumes and the food. And then you have the dubbing in all the different languages. So I, I think my own principal is missing a trick here. I reckon we could make it like a blockbuster, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a year. I suddenly have the image of the, the, the principal with a cigar in their mouth sitting on a desk <laughs> with like their nameplate, uh, Louis B. Mayer. Um, but Ross, so as a as a documentarian, as somebody who has like a you know interest in the history and the form, documentaries often tend to exist like quite apart from what we consider to be narrative cinema. They tend to be placed in their own categories. I mean, we, this podcast covers the IMDb top two fifty ostensibly, <laughs> uh, but basically that list pointedly excludes documentaries from consideration. In award shows, they tend to exist in their own categories, much like, say, animated movies have as well. And, and while you will, for example, see an animated movie occasionally get nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars, you don't see it happen with documentaries. Even as a, as a film critic myself, I'm, I'm a lot more conscious when I'm reviewing a documentary in the same way that I'm kind of conscious when I'm reviewing a non-English language movie that I, I, I have to be cognizant of a different set of facts or I feel like I have to be cognizant of a different set of facts than I would be if I were just watching a conventional narrative feature film you know, produced in America or in Ireland or in England. Is 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 any of this does this make sense to you or or is it completely alien? You know, what do you make of it? Yeah, it's funny as someone who makes them, I wouldn't see the gap as being that wide. But I, I do obviously that's something that that's it, it's a little bit different when you're the person doing it. Like you're you know ultimately you're you're creating narratives, and as a filmmaker, as a director, you're taking the information, the material that you have, and you're trying to, I suppose, shape it into a story that works as a story and it's a it's funny you know listening to connor because you know and again i don't know how you teach it i suppose in school but like when i go to watch a documentary i i suppose i go and watch it as a finished in its finished form this is a story that i'm being told it's a it's a it's a work you know what i mean i don't think you know, obviously the context is is inbuilt in terms of what you know yourself and how it's it's portrayed in the in the film. But I don't necessarily feel that you, you know, that it's inseparable. I suppose from its con context in a way that maybe you're suggesting. So uh, I find that kind of an interesting point, and and it's something I've noticed with some reviewers actually when they they go and see a documentary and uh, I guess and and the press screening happens or whatever, and they do the review. And the review says, you know, X and Y about this film, but why didn't they tell us more about this? And and they start to talk about things that aren't in the film because of their own wider knowledge, um, rather than addressing the work that has been portrayed to them. And you you never see that in a drama film. You never see someone saying, you know, what why? Well, I suppose you probably do from time to time, but yeah, it's a little bit different, I suppose. You, you know, people have a knowledge of the story sometimes. There's a context there. Um, that maybe, oh yeah, look, there's context in, in obviously in fiction too, but maybe they just treat it differently. But to me, I, I see like a great documentary director as being a great storyteller, just the same as I would a, a drama documentary maker. And someone like a Steve Kapadia, who's, you know, is yeah. the filmmaker in question, ha has made a drama film and, and it's excellent as well. So, you oh, know, nice. I don't think he would see it as being that separate. 
Well, I mean, yeah, that, that's an interesting segue into talking about uh, Asif Kapadi and kind of putting this in the context of his, his filmography. Because, um, like, again, it's worth noting that the list that we normally cover on here, the 250, explicitly discounts documentaries. Documentaries are not allowed on the list. Um, several of Kapadia's documentaries would be on the list if they were allowed in. Uh, things like Koina Skatsi have gotten into the list and been aggressively taken out by the editorial board of IMDb because they deserve to be kept separate according to the sites. It's an interesting kind of way that you talk about it. And the thing about Kapadia, you're right to mention that he did begin as a narrative filmmaker. Um, and again, he directed three movies, uh, three fictional narrative movies before he moved into documentary. He did The Warrior. He did The Return, which is one of the like 15 knife wounds that killed Sarah Michelle Gellar's film career, along with The Grudge, The Grudge 2, uh, Harvard Man, and uh, what was the, the Southland Tales as well? Oh, Southland Tales. Southland yeah. Tales, which all came out in the space of two years and one of the most unfortunate runs an actor is possibly ever had in the history of film um but basically after that he moved into directing documentaries and this is something i want to ask like ross as as somebody who follows documentaries as somebody who would know much more about the form than i do i i think kapadia is as a lay person as that silly reviewer who you mentioned who goes off and writes these silly reviews without context for documentary filmmaking i look at kapadia's work in say senna and amy and this and I see it having a huge influence, at least in terms of mainstream documentary filmmaking, where Kapadia goes and he constructs these narratives that are very different from the stereotype of what we imagine a documentary to look like. The the clip of somebody in a chair talking to the camera, Michael B. Jordan, sorry, Michael Jordan saying, and I took that personally. <laughs> the guy from the History Channel saying, I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens. <laughs> these are basically often feel like narrative films constructed from real-life archival material in which outside context is largely taken from recordings, contemporary recordings and interviews, and only occasionally do you have people coming in over the voiceover track, but you're not cutting to people in chairs talking about them. They're really intense, almost kind of narrative features in the way that they tell their stories, which are often, again, very tightly contained. Um, do you think that, like, the the movies that Capadia made, this trilogy that he points to, Senna, Amy, and Diego Maradona that kind of gets you to say the other big documentaries released in 2019, like Amazing Grace, the Aretha Franklin documentary or Apollo 11, which was around the same time, got a big IMAX release and was kind of like momentous as a, as a cinema event. Is that a fair reading of, of kind of documentary filmmaking, at least in the mainstream? Yeah, I think it's, it's probably pretty fair. You, you know, if you do something that's successful, you're going to have imitators. That's always going to happen in any form, isn't it? But like, I think what, Steve Capaldi was trying to do when he makes Senna was to make a drama film, you know, to make a film where you weren't taken out of the narrative by interviews, or at least that's maybe how he saw it or how I've heard him speak about it. And what he was doing, I suppose, is almost making an observational film with scenes, but doing it from a story that happened in the past. You know, so when he made Senna, he accumulated so much material about Senna's career he would find, you know, if, if there was a scene in which Senna, Ayrton Senna, the motor racing driver, if people don't know, you know, it's, it's I suppose, a pretty famous film. Um, if there was a scene in which Senna was speaking to someone else, he would find that camera angle and it might be Senna, but he would notice in, in the background another camera. And then he would go out and he would say, like, maybe that footage exists somewhere. And he'd go out and find that footage. And then he would have the reverse angle. So he'd then have his, like, dramatic scene. I've got my shot and I've got my reverse. I'm able to tell this story in a dramatic way because, like, I suppose drama happens when, when you make 
that cut often, you know, when, when you choose when to go to the moment of the other camera, you know. So I think what he was attempting to do in a way was create a narrative film, a film that felt like it was scene based and that you were constantly in the moment. Now, there were still interviews and it's funny, you know, yeah. I, I find the imitation funny because sometimes you want to see that person speak. You know, sometimes you want to see the facial expression of the person that's conveying that idea. Um, and there's plenty of moments in documentary where, you know, you'd be you'd be lost without that. You know, and His and Hers is a great example of a film where, you know, so much is conveyed in, in the faces of the people that are telling the story. So it's interesting how that little Asif Kapadia genre unfolded it was because he was coming from a drama background you know what I mean I think and and to a certain extent trying to create those same kind of ideas within a documentary um and with Senna and with you know Amy to a certain extent and Maradona to a great extent there's so much footage of them maybe that allows you to do that you know and almost make an observational film but that brings me to another point which is there are lots of observational films that exist with no interviews in them that are as dramatic uh, as powerful, as exciting as, as fiction films too, you know? So like, that's another thread, I suppose, of documentary making that you could compare to uh, Capadia's films in terms of them being in the moment and in the present tense in the, which, in the same way in which he's managed to create his films. So Ross, can I, can I ask Ross? What, where would you, if, if you were in a second, so if you were to decide, Ross, you cannot decide where documentaries go. Uh, would you put them in with English? Would you put them with English and something else? Or would you put them somewhere else? Or what would you do? You're asking a man who can't remember his English from, from school. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, like, I suppose I wouldn't, I, I would, in my mind, I would think, when I, it's like, you know, when you think of a film like Maradona, you think of the themes that are there, you think of what you can see about humanity in that film. You know, those feel like really, really important and uh, themes that, that would be significant to an English class in, in my mind. Um, where else would you place them? I suppose, I don't know. Or, you know, history, I suppose history is, is, it would be a great place for a documentary, but that's not really what Maradona, I suppose, in particular would speak to. Um, no. Yeah, I don't really know the answer to that. I mean, it feels like, yeah, English would be the closest fit, but we, we've all been brought up with, you know, I suppose English, generally speaking, not having had film as part of it. So the idea of English, uh, film as a, as a text maybe is something that's a new thing to our psyche. And then I suppose extending it to documentary, it's trying to separate doc the film itself, I suppose, from the subject and, and watch it only as a film. And then from that, you know, what can you understand about the themes um, and, you know, beyond that, I suppose. Is is part of it to do with the the, the very term like documentary, like we did, I, it, 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 and documentarian. You tend to think of like somebody who's maybe creating some sort of historical record, transcribing, you know? and notating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ver versus kind of um, like you know some other way of like capturing it, like storyteller. Yeah, storyteller or like narrative nonfiction or. Or even like you know a a a tone poem um, about um, about a particular subject. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I suppose like so, documentary has been intertwined with news historically, you know, and 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 documenting hmm. important moments as they happen. And I suppose it's also 
you know, it brings to like a kind of very tired conversation about objectivity. But the idea almost of, of documentary has been this like objective truth yeah. where here is here is what happened or, you know, here is uh, this person's life. But I think if you get away from that and you see it as a work, then then maybe you think about it differently. You know, no film can be objective. It's always going to be subjective. So once you start moving into that space, maybe you start seeing it a little bit differently, even you know, it's it's even the person that decides to film at a news event points their camera in a particular direction, you know, so like everyone's making decisions all the time with a camera in their hand. So I think if you move beyond those kind of, as you say, almost like basic news ideas or objectivity, then maybe you start seeing it as a, as a different thing. And I think, and again, maybe this is why... Diego Maradona is such a fascinating subject and any of any of uh, Capatia's films would be such a fascinating subject for this discussion and for documentary in an English curriculum. But I find like as somebody who writes about film, whether myself subconsciously or in terms of discussions that I inevitably have with people on the Internet who have very strong opinions, um, it tends, as you said, that collapse between the documentary as a narrative as a constructed object and its subject where it's it becomes impossible to talk about Diego Maradona without talking about Diego Maradona the man you know it becomes impossible to separate the film from the man and the narrative of the film from the person and that doesn't even when you're dealing with say biographies in in fiction it's a lot easier to separate say Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer from J Robert Oppenheimer the man because you're a lot more conscious of that as a narrative work, whereas with documentary, it, it, as you said, there is that instance of objectivity. There is a sense that this is a portrait or a picture or a snapshot of a real person rather than a constructed object. Um, is that fair? Brings up, that, that brings up the, the other kind of way of my looking at it. There are memoirs on the, on the curriculum that popped up every now and again, um, but never a biography. So it's a documentary like a biography or is, I can't think of a documentary that's like a memoir, to be honest with you, but is a documentary more like a biography rather than um, fictionalized film? Val, Val would be like a memoir, wouldn't it? Yeah, recently? I suppose a memoir is like naturally going to be very subjective though, right? Mm. Is the thing I suppose. I just think there should be a film. Just a film course, and that's it. There should be <laughs> from first year to sixth year a film, and then they can feed off into that for the rest of the yeah. subjects. Yeah, I think. But I think I think your point's a good one. I think it is close to biography because there is someone making the work, but it's not always about an individual. It's not always a portrait of an individual. I suppose that's where that might those two ideas might separate from each other. I just think it's it is actually very interesting that Maradona was chosen because there's. Yeah a madness to the man and a madness kind of to the film mm. that makes it probably, you know, a less tight, you know, thematic uh, work, say, than Senna or Amy, even to not go too far away from um, Asif Kapadia's, you know, other work. So, I mean, it's, it's really interesting that that's chosen because it is sort of a little bit all over the place, you know, because his life was all over the place. And, and then I think it's, it, it becomes harder to narrow um, what it's about, I suppose. And I think that might be quite difficult for, for people to study in a way. Uh, uh, the cynical teachers, of which I am not one of them, <laughs> the cynical teachers might say that it was put there as a kind of almost an entertainment for a particular cohort of students who might not want to read a book. 
<laughs> instead they get watch about a, about a footballer they watch a bit of football so but yeah uh, that's, that's a cynical attitude but i i, I had the, i think it's better than that by the way i, I don't i don't yeah. i had the experience recently of you know t- taking kind of at work we like took a class of children they were about like eight or nine to a library but um most of the boys wanted a not all of them but most of them wanted books about you know Neymar or like Cristiano Ronaldo or or those sorts of things or books about their their football team um and then there were like one or two kids who had like there was one who wanted to read all about World War Two and Actually, maybe I've already spoken about this on the podcast. Sorry <laughs> if I'm repeating myself, but yeah, that 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 I I I kind of see what um, Connor is saying in terms of like it it being an easy pill to swallow, but it may be like being um, you know a a delivery mechanism, um, hopefully for you you know for for a quality movie that that they're actually willing to watch. Um, I guess. Well, that's it. It's an it's an entry level. I was going to say entry level drug, but entry level text. <laughs> Appropriate <laughs> subject matter. Feed off. Oh. You can feed off into other areas. I've used film like that all all my career. You use the film. You show film, and then you you, you sneak a sonnet in there somehow or another. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, again, it, we'll maybe talk about this when we get to the sports zone. One of the big differences between this and say Sen and Amy is that obviously. Um, Diego Maradona was still very much alive when this was being made. He was he participated in the making of the movie. Now we'll get into some of the particulars about that when we get to the spore zone. It wasn't necessarily an easy collaboration for everybody involved. Um, but it does kind of, I think to Ross's point, kind of muddy the waters a bit that you don't have with, say, Senna or Amy, where you're dealing with two dead subjects who obviously you have this wealth of material left behind, but that is shaped entirely by the documentarian. Whereas with Diego Maradona, there's a much more active particip- participation from the subject as well, which is an interesting kind of push and pull, maybe. Um, whether we're talking about authorship or that sort of thing. Oh, Ross, sorry. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a, it's a funny one because I, I think his contribution was actually pretty weak. Um, possibly one of the weakest parts of the film. And he's such an... I mean, it, it, the one thing I suppose that's interesting about his contribution is it brings up that kind of idea of the unreliable narrator. You know, like, the, you know, to what extent can you trust what he says? which I think is always like an interesting concept for for people studying English probably is, you know, to what extent can you trust what somebody's saying? And, and probably to what extent can you trust many of the people in the documentary? Because it just feels like everyone is, is I suppose, protecting themselves or has their own agenda, which is very much a, a function of the lives of people um, like Diego Maradona and the people around them, you know, because they seem to attract to them um all sorts of people that feel like they can benefit from them. I mean, another example of that is Muhammad Ali, you know, I mean, that was someone that just was surrounded by people that are trying to exploit him. Um, so I suppose it is interesting from that point of view is to what extent is Diego Maradona's contribution to Diego Maradona all that worthwhile um, or all that reliable? So, yeah, it is different from the other two films, but to me, not that different, I suppose. Okay. All right. And then... Oh, sorry. It's a peculiar kind of hagiography because even even though like he's involved with it and his wife is involved with it, like it the it is, I feel like fairly um, warts and all, right? Um, in spite of being like this movie of sort of religious devotion, 
you know the hand of god well i mean again he he yeah. very famously he made himself it was very difficult for him to make himself available for um asif kapadia he talks about how they would continuously like arrange interviews travel to meet him and then his staff would say oh he's not feeling well today and then it would turn out that he had flown back to argentina they, they fly to argentina and they'd be like okay can we talk to him now it's like no he's not really feeling well today oh he's flown back to to naples again or wherever he's flown around the world he's in the united arab emirates where he's living on an island that is shaped like like a palm tree and it's like okay can we talk to him it's like and he's not really feeling well but come back tomorrow and we'll talk about it and eventually managed to get i think six days and i think like again capadia said like when he was interviewing him maradona is a very good speaker uh in that he can answer any question in any way that he wants to so inevitably he would ask about say his drug abuse and would get an answer about like Sepp Blatter and UEFA he would ask about like the World Cup and he would get a you know an answer about you know the the torn ankle uh, that he received decades earlier like he would just kind of turn the answer around into what he wanted to to talk about and like there's the story of them trying to get him to come to Cannes for the premiere and him refusing and I believe after the fact stating that he saw this movie which he had not actually seen but he had just heard was an attack and a betrayal of him um, in a very kind of Diego Maradona style um, and it, again a, a mess of contradictions which is kind of interesting to, to kind of think about and kind of explore um, but actually Ross do you remember the first time you saw Diego Maradona did you see it when it first released did you see it before yeah no I saw it on release I, saw, I actually um, interviewed Asif Kapadia at the premiere in Dublin so um, yeah I, I saw it I, I saw it on I think I saw it on a link first and then I went to see it then in, in person as well so yeah, it was it, it was I know it was absolutely packed theater and it was and you know I recognized there were sports journalists there and so people were coming at it from all different standpoints I suppose film lovers and sports lovers and and he's just an iconic figure I suppose that would have I was going to say a cult following but just like a huge following of of people that grew up watching him. Um so it was a, it was a pretty amazing screening. Um and it was interesting I remember some people saying after that they didn't feel it was as good or as focused as earlier films but in a funny way I think that's just kind of the 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 necessary evil of of trying to make a film by Diego Maradona he's a mess yeah I mean again not to not to get too obsessed with the list that we are not at all covering for these five weeks of the podcast but on the IMDb this is the lowest ranked of those three documentaries all three of the IMDb used to have a separate list for documentaries. It no longer does. Letterbox does have a list of the 250 greatest documentaries ever. Um, and all three of the trilogy are on there. Diego Maradona is the lowest ranked of the three. At point of recording, it's number 249 of the 250 greatest documentaries ever made. But there is a sense, yeah, it's kind of interesting that, like, obviously Senna is a game changer. I think it's in the Letterbox top 10 in terms of documentaries ever made. It's obviously, it, it reinvented or reinvigorated the form in terms of mainstream populist documentary filmmaking, I think it's safe to say. Um, and then Amy was a phenomenon. Amy won him the Oscar, right? Amy won the Oscar for Best Documentary that year, am I right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, Senna probably should and, have. And then Amy yeah. did. Yeah. Well, again, it's that thing of well, like, I mean, oh, sorry. I, I mean, I, I probably can't comment too much, but if 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 we're just talking about the subjects, so like Diego Maradona versus um, uh, Ayrton Senna, I feel like Ayrton Senna is more made for a list of films, like regardless of the film itself, you know, that is a kind of like a cerebral um, character that somebody, you know, voting on kind of what the 
best movies of all time are I mean, this... more likely to put it a, a documentary about that sort of subject. Obviously, it matters a lot whether the movie is any good or not. But You're arguing that all the people who voted for uh, Ron Howard's Rush immediately clicked over onto Senna and were like, yeah, 10 out of 10. Is that what we're... No, the, the, I, I, I don't mean like, you know, uh, motorheads. Okay. Like I, I'm, I'm, I mean, like people interested in the, the mind of of Earth and Senna and just his kind of like detail and his perfectionism and yeah. his uh, you don't think that applies to Maradona like I mean the argument one of the big not to jump into spoilers for the film but one of the big arguments the film makes about Maradona as a player is that like he was not tall he was not fast but he was smart sure. he was a, he was a genius when it came to manipulating the ball on the pitch he's a very analytical very smart player well, I think I think as well, you know, if you remember, if I remember correctly about Senna, it was it was very much a word of mouth success. You know, it was a film that yeah. people that had no interest in, in motor racing and maybe didn't even know who Senna was yeah. eventually went to see and ultimately probably derived much higher box office than anyone could have predicted. So but I take your point. I do, he is quite a cool figure, he, you know, and, and maybe, yeah. you know, in a way that, that maybe people would like to say, oh, I went to see Senna last night you know to their friends <laughs> maybe yeah. i don't know but like, like aside from like the the tragic end he's not kind of pitiable in the same way that that uh, maradona is like for all the affection that people have for maradona they also you know feel sorry for him whereas Ertan senna is this like you know fascinating kind of character who you you, you would no, just kind of wondering if, by that logic, then does Senna, sorry, does um, Diego Maradona not have that element of grand tragedy to him as well? Like, does he not have that kind of like fall from grace in a way that, like, Senna's tragic death is a very different sort of ending? But you have, you have an arc with Diego Maradona that I think is quite narrative. It's easy to sell narratively. No, I think that's probably why it's on the on the list because it's a very clear kind of Shakespearean fall yeah. from grace at the beginning. Yeah, this grand ambition. Yeah. You know. The tragic flaw gets him in the end, or the number of tragic flaws. <laughs> Any number of them simultaneously. <laughs> that, that we all have, I suppose, is, is what you know is what the next step is. But that's probably why they picked that over the other ones. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's that it's it's that classic narrative structure. It's like every every VH1 documentary. It's like everything was going great for Diego Maradona, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All of his character flaws came it back felt, to haunt him simultaneously. Felt, yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt like the world was at his feet. <laughs> All of a sudden, he discovered cocaine. <laughs> but, well, I mean, we, we should kind of put this just in context. Like, the, the thing with, I believe that Diego Maradona didn't open theatrically in the States. It went, it was sold to HBO at Cannes. And it may have premiered on HBO uh, in the States. I cannot find any box office information about its release. It did release, obviously, theatrically, as Ross mentioned, in the UK and Ireland. It did very well. Um, there is that thing about soccer, where, you know, obviously, or football, if you will, um, is, like, again, very popular outside of America. But in America, maybe hasn't Everybody... had... Everybody on Twitter already thinks you're American. (laughs) (laughs) Calling it soccer isn't going to make a difference. But like like that, that's the thing. Like the, the thing with Diego Maradona is like people ask how he got so much of this footage. 
Um, like how he was able to find so much like B-roll footage, how he had so many shots of all these great meetings that were taking place that were so candid and so personal. And like the, the way that Capadia tells this is like there are two versions of the story, both of which are to do with like Diego Maradona's manager, who's George, and I apologize for this, Citer's uh, Filler, um, who basically latched on to the idea that he was going to be big and that soccer or football was going to be huge in America in the like 1970s and 1980s. So he was like, as soon as the Americans figure out what football is, I'll be able to sell them this documentary about Maradona. I will hire two people to follow him around nonstop with a video camera so that I will have all of this footage. So when the Americans come and want to make a Maradona biopic, I will have all the stuff that I can package and sell to them. Uh, The other story that's told is that apparently he was desperately worried that somebody was going to kidnap Maradona. And so he hired two men to follow Maradona around, not with guns, but with a video camera. So that that moment could be caught on film for all eternity. Um, but uh, yeah, that, like it's it's kind of interesting that this is a huge hit in Ireland and the UK, and in America they're like, eh, I don't know, I guess HBO, I guess this this documentary from the Oscar-winning documentarian Asif Kapadia can go straight to HBO. Sorry, Andrew. Well, it's inter- it's interesting the amount of times that uh, football, uh, or let's call it association football, <laughs> um, has you know attempted to break America or the 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 kind of and it, that is kind of happening i suppose at the moment but you had like you know george best and pele and even beckham going over going as over. well yeah like even beckham going over in the 20s well that's more recent yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. The, but 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 that back in the 70s yeah that the um that it was happening too and didn't quite didn't quite happen but um they're at it again <laughs> See, this is why we have a soccer expert on this podcast, Andrew. Um, I'm not a soccer expert. <laughs> you're right. You're a football expert. Apologies. But the, um, the, the I also love this little detail here from Capadia, where apparently after Maradona fired that agent, the agent refused to pay the two cameramen. So they apparently split with the footage themselves and just like went off and sold it to collectors around the world. So they had to basically negotiate and get all the IP rights back. But I just love the idea of hiring two cameramen to film everything and just not paying them. And then to having to gather up the tapes at the end to make this documentary. But Connor, had you seen Diego Maradona before it appeared on the Leaving Cert curriculum? Uh, no, I'd seen Amy and I'd seen Senna. But uh, this would have been one of when the list comes out just before the summer. I go through the list and I take off the ones I haven't seen. And then I read and watch in the summer. And that's one of the ones I watched. Watched it once. Thought That's grand. And then didn't think of it again until you asked me to do this. <laughs> so I watched it twice this week. <laughs> um, but, uh, and Andrew, what about yourself? Had you, as like as our soccer expert, as our football expert, had you watched Diego <laughs> Maradona before we decided to do this, or did you feel like no, you knew I'm enough a, about the man and the legend? No, I'm a dilettante. I I I, um, I had not seen this. No. Were you aware of it? Oh yeah, but yeah, I'm, I'm very, I'm very aware of Maradona as well. Like. As most kids who would be kind of, you know, out on the green or in the um, uh, schoolyard would have been aware of of Maradona growing up when we did, even though his kind of star was waning, kind of as as I guess we discover in the movie. The Maradona 7, I remember, was a thing that everybody was trying to do. At least once. What's the Maradona seven? Which was um, soloing it on your left foot, followed by your right foot, followed by your left knee, 
followed by your right knee, followed by your left shoulder, followed by your right shoulder, followed by your head. So it it would be um seven kind of keepy uppies. Um, but would it would would with different parts of your body. Can you give us a demonstration there, Andrew? I know it's a podcast. <laughs> it's an audio media. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just bear, bear, bear with me. It's amazing <laughs> that you brought the ball with you into the podcast. Just... I really appreciate it. While you're doing that... Yeah, silence, please. <laughs> okay. Actually, yeah, you talk amongst yourself while I do this. I'll see if I can get it first time. Um, but... Ross, uh, were you aware of Maradona as a footballer? Like, what we've talked, we've asked you as a documentarian, we've asked you as a filmmaker. Like, what's your familiarity with Maradona as a personality? Well, yeah, I would have watched the World Cup in Mexico in 1986 when he kind of he he already was in Naples at at that stage, but um, yeah, that's when he kind of burst on the global scene, I suppose, with those that I mean he basically carried Argentina on his shoulders to the World Cup in incredible style that has never been repeated so yeah he completely captured my imagination as a child so yeah it's uh I was there I wasn't there <laughs> but I was there in terms of watching it on TV actually it was on holidays in France during the World Cup and and uh they, they we had gone camping and in the campsite they had a big screen for the World Cup because they fancied France to do well um, and so every evening people would gather in this in front of this big screen and watch the matches. And uh, for a very young boy at the time, it was, quite, you know, even just being there, a screen of that size, you know, was kind of mesmerizing. And uh, and of course, like, you know, it was all by satellite. So it had that kind of amazing like satellite feel that almost feels like really cinematic you know and and uh yeah i just remember watching all those kind of key knockout games and and seeing maradona basically grasp the world cup in his hand with his hand and blew me away so yeah so he he was an iconic figure for me definitely so i mean of course then when this film came along I, i guess i knew a lot about him so it wasn't as if i was you know, felt like I I had too many holes in in my knowledge of him, but I did like the way it was put together and the way it really focused on those Naples yeah. years. And as you say, the way it kind of follows the narrative structure, but also as it comes towards. Oh, we're going to do spoilers now. I'm not supposed to do spoilers, am oh, I? No, okay, so, okay, okay. okay. Um, we'll cycle very quickly. Yeah, yeah. This. Sorry about um, that. But yeah, no. It just to me, I, I did like the way it was put together, certainly in terms of of building that narrative and and to see all that footage i think i mean they'd hundred it's five, hundreds of hours of of 500 um, hours unseen footage yeah something like that that um so yeah i mean it, it, incredible to see that that come together but i i almost wondered did they have too much footage you know it's it's <laughs> like what do you do with all that um all right then so three questions just to get us started so connor do you think diego maradona belongs on the leaving cert english curriculum <sighs> Oh, gosh. See, I know people who make this list. That's okay. They're used to be given out already. I mean, I've given out about Shawshank. Uh, I'm going to say no, because documentaries should be part of film, and film should have its own little home somewhere else. So I'm going to say no on that basis. That'll get me out of jail. All right. Let's make this contentious. Ross, do you think that Diego Maradona belongs on the Leaving Cert curriculum? Um. I don't really like on, <laughs> a teacher has just said no. So who, who am I to argue with him? Um, but I don't I don't see why if, if film is is on the on the curriculum, why documentary wouldn't be, I suppose. Um, whether this film in particular is, is the one to choose. I mean, there's, there's so many different types of documentary, so many different ways of telling stories, both in documentary and, and of course, in, in fiction. 
that that why this one it wouldn't necessarily have been I suppose my first choice and if your follow-up question is what would have been my first choice I don't have an answer but yeah it, it, it seems like a strange one a little bit to me to be on the curriculum um being honest but it's a great film and I'm sure lots of people will enjoy it and and there is a lot to learn from it about you know human experience so um yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not so sure it, it was the one to choose for to be the documentary on the curriculum oh, of the set to represent that. What about yourself, Andrew? We we studied film, but we didn't study a documentary. Do you think Diego Maradona belongs on the list of English? I don't think it belongs on the list. Okay. I think it, like it it serves a purpose, maybe, and has a place in that it fills an archetype. Is it? Well, just in the sense that the well, n- not only in the sense that uh, Connor mentioned, but also in the sense of it being a documentary. But it it obviously it helps that it's any it an 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 easy watch. Is it an easy watch? <laughs> I mean, I mean, but well, no, no. In 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 well, I suppose that like most movies are going to be maybe easier to get leaving certain children on or certainly a certain cohort on board with than um a a book like that they're just naturally more accessible and i think this as a kind of a as a sports um documentary is uh even more so yeah and as a sports documentary that is edited like propulsively, it begins with a car chase. How many documentaries begin with a yeah. car chase and a previously on Diego Maradona <laughs> segment? It's like it's Some very very propulsive, very Naples, very, very <laughs> Neapolitan driving. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I'd agree with you there. It has that kind of um, uh, like motion to it. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well that it, it I mean, I, it's, it's possible it will, it, that Diego Maradona might mean more to the teachers than the students, but, but maybe, maybe I'm doing uh, students at a service. So what you're saying is it belongs on the history curriculum. <laughs> you're saying teachers are old, old fogies. <laughs> um, and there's not as many old students. <laughs> no, there aren't. I used to play soccer against the students in, a, in another school I was in, and um, I had to stop. And they said, Why aren't you playing this year? And I said, You guys are all staying the same age, but I'm getting older. <laughs> just, just not that old. <laughs> uh, and, and for myself, yes. I mean, I, I do think that there should be a documentary on there. I think it's interesting to talk to kids about, like, document, to have the discussion that we basically just kind of speedball through here. Like, what is a documentary? Is there a difference between it and a narrative film? And I think that this is a great example of that because it kind of blurs the boundaries between the two. Where Capati has talked about how he uses the same like production team that he uses on his narrative films to make his documentaries. You have the soundtrack uh, by Antonio Pinto, which is fantastic. You have the editing by Chris King, which is just frantic, 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 go, go, go. And you have this structure where it really wouldn't take too much to translate this into a narrative feature film. Admittedly, it would probably look something like, say, Adam McKay's Vice or something like that, or The Big Short, but you could see a fictional version of this that would work relatively well. And I think it's really interesting to have a documentary that blurs those boundaries and demonstrates the potential of the form. So yeah, I think this is a very useful text to have if you're teaching kids 
English and if you're teaching them about stories and if you're teaching them about film. And then Connor, I think if this hadn't been on the Leaving Cir- oh, I, sorry. No, no, I, 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 you, you mentioned a couple of movies and like, I, I don't know if you'd throw in like Brian De Palma scar <laughs> as well. Like, uh, not based on a not, true not, story, not a, to be fair. Like, I mean, that was the guy. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> but, but the yeah, yeah. But, but it, it, it um, yeah. <laughs> like the. You know, it could be a, a movie about like all the great historical figures like Dick Cheney, the guys responsible for financial crimes, <laughs> Tony Montana. Um, but yes, sorry, Connor, if yeah, yeah. if um, never forget Tony, Montana. never forget Tony Montana. <laughs> if this wasn't on the Leaving Cert course, if you weren't doing this podcast with us or if you hadn't opened that list that said this is what you're studying or what you can study, would you ever have watched Diego Maradona? Uh, to be fair, I probably would have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I might not have sought it out, but if it was around or, you know, you get on Sky Movies, what movies are up? Oh, that's supposed to be good. So, yeah, no, I wouldn't have ignored it. That's probably a better way of saying it. <laughs> I wouldn't have ignored the film. Um, yeah, so I probably would have watched it, yeah. And Ross, you've already answered this because you watched it several times before it was actually released, but I assume that you, you think this has value beyond being a, a course, a, a, a film studied on the English curriculum. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's funny as we talk about it here and I try and think of like what other type of documentary you might have on the course and then you start to realize, well, there's probably there's probably many, many types of documentary films that you just couldn't put near an English course. So, so maybe like maybe maybe I'm changing my mind as we as we talk, <laughs> you know, it, it is, it, you know, it is, I suppose, you know, and, and as Connor said, it, it almost has like that Shakespearean structure. So maybe it maybe it is the film to have on the course what was your question again i can't remember um but no, i now have a follow-up question which is like <laughs> earlier you said don't ask me a follow-up question asking what documentary should be on there but the fact that you literally said there are plenty that you wouldn't put anywhere near the english curriculum i want to know like what are what specific kinds of documentaries are you referencing when you say you would not put near the leaving cert curriculum well it's, uh, yeah I, you know i'm the, uh, one of my favorite films of the last few years that I just think everyone should watch is Collective, which is the Romanian um, corruption film. You know, where a filmmaker basically is embedded in the in government departments when the whole place is falling down around his ears, and uh, it's just an extraordinary film. I mean, I don't know how it. Like, I, I mean, I don't really put that much store in awards anyway, but how it didn't win the Oscar, I'll never know. But it it wouldn't have. I, yeah, you know, I, I I guess it isn't isn't analyzable or readable in the way that a film like Diego Maradona would be. Or if you think of like Ken, you know, the genius of Ken Burns and his films, but they're very much historical, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and they're brilliant. He made, he's an incredible filmmaker, but it doesn't feel like it sits within an English curriculum. So, yeah, yeah I suppose there aren't that many types of documentary that necessarily feel like they fit in English curriculum in the way that a novel does or a, or um, a play does and, and could therefore be compared. I don't know. I don't know what Connor would think of that. Uh, that, that. That would be my, that's that's my issue. My issue is I can, te- I reckon I can teach film from first to sixth year. It's on the curriculum as a, you know, the, 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 the fiction films and cover a huge wide berth of, of, of movies. But you throw a documentary at me and I know, that there's so much, there's so much I should be teaching, but I just can't. So I think, no, that should be somewhere else. So I, that's why I don't, because there's too much for me to do, to do it properly, to do it justice. Um, 
And then what will happen then, I will end up doing the documentary that I'm teaching an injustice by just reducing it down to a simple narrative. And for me, that's not really teaching them. That's, you know, that's not teaching them at all. That's just preparing them for an exam. So, you know, I'm not going to do that. So that's why I don't. And Andrew, what about yourself? So if this hadn't come up, would you ever have watched Diego Maradona? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm glad I did. Yeah. Um, It's, 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 it's an interesting story. It's one, I guess, uh, as uh, Ross has mentioned, that a lot of people are familiar with already, but it's very well told. Yes. Yeah. And again, that's a great way to get into discussions of craft and film technique, is to look at how you can tell that story in what is a documentary as much as you can in a narrative film or in a, you know, a book or a novel, how you can use actual first-hand material to construct this narrative. Um, and then, Connor... If listeners have not seen Diego Maradona, it is available to stream on Now TV on Sky in the UK. It's on HBO in the US. Would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? Absolutely, yeah. I, I, it's, I, it's a very entertaining film. I found it very entertaining, and it does it, it it zooms along, like you say, and you'll know enough already about Diego because God knows we hear enough about him from the Brits. So uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it'd be very it's well worth it. from the English, not the Brits. Sorry, the English. Be specific. I, I do love, by the way, that apparently he threatened to sue was it Paolo Sorrentino over the hand of God, that like Netflix Oscar potential candidate in which he, there non-spoilers for that movie, but a momentous occasion happens in the life of Paolo Sorrento while he's attending a match where Diego Maradona's playing. Apparently Maradona's like, no, you don't get to take credit for that. That's my shameful title that you get to use. Um, very interesting, man. Very, very interesting, man. Ross, would you recommend listeners pause the podcast and stream Diego Maradona? Absolutely. I mean, what a story. And in, in a funny way, it's a real forerunner of, I suppose, some of the celebrity demise that we see a little bit too often these days, you know, and, and he was a, a real global star, you know, at a time before the internet, you know, at a time before people were cancelled and all those. He was cancelled in a, in a much more kind of immediate way by Napoli and, and, and people around him. So, yeah, I, I think it's absolutely fascinating in the context of his time. And, and to look back at it now, and it's just an incredible life. I mean, what a person, uh, what a complex person. I mean, yeah, we, we talk a little bit about like authorship and authorship and stuff like that. It's fascinating that like Cap- uh, Capadia's three stories of like celebrity rises and falls, like you can, to a certain extent, read them as commentaries on shifting celebrity culture, where like obviously Senna has that huge arc in it about like the development of the technology within the race cars and how that shifted the dynamic within the arena towards the end of Senna's career and his reaction against that. There's the point here about like Maradona where, you know, there is a Peter Bradshaw in the Guardian makes the point that this is the last time you could have told a story like this before soccer got taken over and became even more corporatized, even more sponsored, even more managed. You would never have a figure like Diego Maradona today who would allow the level of exposure that's necessary to make a documentary like this. It just simply would not happen. And then obviously Amy Winehouse is a celebrity who happens, whose collapse happens in real time because that's where that culture is. It's it's interesting to kind of like look at them as not just snapshots about fame and celebrity, but also about kind of shifting moments or kind of like where these people are at particular flashpoints in the culture, which is interesting. You'd make a great movie about Ronaldo, to be fair, though, when the final shot of him walking down the tunnel on his own in tears. That'd be a great end to a film. Well, he... <laughs> 
he did. He produced a documentary, uh, Ronaldo. Well, he did. <laughs> he produced. Yeah, like Capadia very much has a brand. He he kind of like oh. in the gaps when he was making these movies, he figured I have a brand. I'm going to play to it. He produced a documentary called Ronaldo um, as well. But yeah, and, and Andrew, would you recommend listeners pause um, the podcast and watch Diego Maradona? Yeah, yeah, I would. I, th- I think um, he's, uh, I, I think he's a very important person for the city of Napoli or Naples yeah. I think in 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 terms of their um like their love affair with their club what he what he did for that city um and it's a story kind of like worth telling and it has kind of uh, yeah no I'd absolutely recommend uh, people watch it yeah it is immensely watchable I will I'll, I'll second that recommendation it is like propulsive like the thing about Capadia's documentaries um is that they you know again this is the separation between documentary and other films or fictive narrative films but it's like they almost feel like they belong to traditional genres where Senna feels like it's a thriller at times Amy feels like it's a heartbreaking celebrity drama this feels like a hybrid of the two it is incredibly propulsive incredibly heartbreaking incredibly tense and also incredibly tragic and inevitable in a way that we generally associate narrative films with being um, I think it's a great gateway into if you are somebody who maybe doesn't watch that many documentaries or you're cautious about documentaries or you have that prejudice that myself and Andrew and the you know English teachers before 2018 had um, separating uh, documentary from narrative film. This is a great way to bridge that divide. I, I've got to put a, I got to, I bought a caveat on that because <laughs> teachers are going to kill me. Right? Not all <laughs> teachers hate documentaries. We don't hate documentaries. <laughs> Hashtag not all teachers. Uh, with that in mind, we will segue neatly into the exam hall. You may now watch the movie if you've not yet done so. The podcast is about to start. You have less than three hours to listen to this broad conversation, including tangents. The best of luck. Ross, what is Diego Maradona about for you? What is Diego Maradona about? I think, to me, it's... Now, I had I had thought of something to say to this, but then we've been speaking for about an hour and it's gone out of my head. But no, to me, it, it's like just... <laughs> I mean, obviously, it, it's a portrait of him, and, and but it's so much more than that. You know, it's, it's to me, about about as complex a, a character as you can imagine, you, you know, someone that is a, a devoted father who's, who rejects a son, um, who's an extraordinary talent, uh, an athlete that completely abuses his body, um, someone that is completely selfish, but carries an entire nation on his back. I mean, he's just, I suppose, incredible central character and we love you know any film that we watch we love our characters to be complex so from that point of view it's a story about an incredibly flawed human being and and in a way it's about all the people that we can be within one person i find that really really interesting and that applies almost to everyone you know i mean in his case he's many people i think but in the case of all of us we have we have different faces that we wear so i think he's an incredible kind of exploration of that and then it's I suppose the story of a city in a way like or of a country in terms of Italy and Naples and and how uh, Naples is considered in within Italy is is, is definitely being I suppose like the, the poor cousin of the northern relations and that's something that Diego was himself you know he came from shanty town 
and and went all the way to the top of the world and and he dragged them i suppose to the 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 highest point that they've ever been at i think they might have actually won the league this season so they're back there now but yeah so there's there's a, there's a lot of thematic stuff going on there um and uh yeah but i think it's his complexity and all the people that he was that kind of fascinates me the, the most about it and i know that well i did a q a with steve kapadi and very much you know he was kind of in, in press and in q a's and stuff talking about the two the two diego maradonas the the diego you know the kind of yeah. almost impish lovable a somewhat immature charismatic character and then maradona who was like the beast that he had created to deal with his talent and his fame and yeah that's really interesting and it's kind of wraps it up in a nutshell to one to some extent but i think there's even probably many more faces of diego maradona than those two as well so to me it's kind of like that central that portrait i suppose of a very complex character is sort of the main thing for me and and then astonishing narrative at the same time yeah and very tightly focused it is it is wild that they had never won um until he came and then won twice and 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 then didn't win again for thirty six years and on, on until, yeah, you, 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 like the year that we're filming, or sorry, the year <laughs> that we're recording. I beg your pardon. And and it's an incredibly concentrated narrative as well. I mean, you know, it covers mainly the eight years from Maradona's arrival at the club through to you know the the World Cup in nineteen ninety mm. and the immediate aftermath in nineteen ninety one, and then it just kind of cuts out. And it doesn't follow afterwards. And again, Ross pointed out that you frequently get when you have documentaries, you know, the why didn't you include X? Why didn't you include Y reviews that you don't generally get with fiction films? And we've, it's kind of interesting because like while I was watching it, I was thinking, you know, our point of comparison for this has largely been other documentaries, documentaries done in a similar style. I mean, we've mentioned like Apollo 11, we mentioned Amazing Grace, uh, the David Bowie Moon Age Daydream documentary comes to mind as well this whole kind of subgenre of documentary following this similar template. But, you know, I think a lot of the, the biopic, like the the recent research of the biopic, where we traditionally think of the biopic as, you know, from birth to death, from cradle to grave, the kind of the epic story that tells an entire life. We think of something like Patton, we think of something like Gandhi, we think of something like Nixon, for example, these epic sweeping historical narratives that cover like grand swaths of history. Yeah. But if you look at the biopic as it exists today, and obviously there are are exceptions like for example the musical biopics you know the elton john biopic rocket man the freddie mercury biopic uh, bohemian rhapsody those tend to be the exceptions oppenheimer this year is arguably also an exception covering like the entire life and career of its subject but generally speaking in the past 20 years or so maybe 15 even the big push has been towards tightening the focus of your biopic so for example like the queen is very much the trendsetter here the Stephen Frears Peter Morgan movie that focuses on the immediate aftermath of the death of Princess Diana but you also have something like say Frost Nixon which focuses on like one set of interviews around the character of Richard Nixon recently I think of movies like say Jackie and Spencer which are, are movies specifically about really narrow windows of time in the life of their subjects and they're kind of like intensely focused yeah Elvis slash Nixon hell you could even go back and you could look at something like say the darkest hour or something like say downfall Mm. which are these movies that take an intense focus on character through action through a very tight very focused dramatic situation and it's kind of interesting to look at a documentary taking what is to me an approach that i i recognize more frequently from modern 
biopics, modern dramatic biopics. It's just fascinating to see the form kind of emulate or or kind of replicate a for uh, you know a trend that I recognize in, in those more conventional narrative feature films. Yeah, and of, of course the beauty of that format is that like when it works really well, what you get is this really small window into a person's life that then becomes this grand statement about their place or their role in history. And I think I think that like one of the beauties of Diego Maradona is that it manages to do that. It takes a look at this eight year window that says a lot about the man, the sport, and the place. It, it's it's remarkable. I think that's but that's that's always the difficulty of documentary is kind of where does it begin and end because uh, you know obviously with a film like Senna or Amy, the person, you know, spoiler, dies at the end and, and therefore, and in their 20s. So like, you know, it's a very short life. But generally speaking, it's a great difficulty of documentary making where you're dealing with real subjects is, where is the obvious conclusion of this? And narrowing the focus is, is I suppose, what filmmakers are often trying to do. And they're trying to say, well, what is, is there one thing that we can center this on? Um, that allows us to tell the story and that from that you can ex- extrapolate everything about that person's life or everything about the the uh, prolonged story outside of the narrative that you're telling. Um, and in a way, it, it's something that fiction, you know, can do more easily. You write a script and it's it's got a beginning, middle and end. Um, but yeah, focusing on those Napoli years, I think that was just brilliant, you know, and, and I suppose I hadn't realised at the time how much of it came down to, you know, that match between Italy and, and Argentina in, in the semi-final of... Which you couldn't write. If you yeah. were writing a fictional film and that was your climax, At people Italian would be like, 90, that's, yeah. that's hackneyed. Yeah, that, that's such a cliche. Yeah, it? and everything comes together, you know, and it, it kind of destroys them in the end, you know. So, uh, like, that... I don't know. I wonder if, if when he started the film, I presume he did, like, obviously he does due diligence and, and he did his research and he knew what he was talking about, but I, I hadn't realised. I suppose, like, in Ireland... Anyone that was watching the World Cup then was very much focused on on the Irish story. Yeah. But there was a whole the other story Italian happening with, yeah. with Argentina and Italy that was far greater than that. <laughs> well, I mean, the, 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 the movie wouldn't have been as dramatic if if the big moment was Ireland versus Argentina. In this <laughs> <movie>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a short mention. Skilacci, that's it. <laughs> yeah. 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 We could have spoiled it. Yeah, just to, to kind of give a, a quote there, like from Capadia, like you're, you're entirely right, Ross, to single that out as a big issue where he says, like, the reason why he chose to do this as his third in this kind of trilogy was, as you said, Senna and Amy have clear arcs to them. They have clear beginnings, middles and ends. And he says, primarily, it was the reason to do it for that extra challenge. I made two films about brilliant people who died young. And with those, you know what the ending is. It was a conscious thing to say, what happens if you get old? What happens if you lose your gift? What if your story keeps going and going and going? And you have to deal with a person who's still around, who is very tricky, a famously very difficult character. Whenever you think you've got something or an ending or an angle the next day or the next week or the next year, he does something that makes everything you've done seem irrelevant and out of date. It was a conscious decision by me to test myself. So I think you're entirely right there. There's something incredibly challenging about making a documentary about a figure like this who's still alive. And it's, I mean, I have that experience almost every time I make anything is that people go like, well, what about the thing that happens since you stop filming? You know, and and the truth is that actually a great story has should have an ending and what happens after that becomes irrelevant you know that's the story that you're telling um and that's what your ending is and uh you know it, it's a tricky one because it's not news you know that's the whole point you know you're trying to tell, make a film you're trying to tell a story 
um, it's not news. You don't need to include every single moment in that person's life. And, and the idea that, you know, you've left, I mean, there was one review of, I'm trying to think what film it was. Oh man, I wish I could remember it about some, um, American, famous American person and English reviewer said, it's strange that they left out that his wife was English and her, her dad was famous, you know, or something like that. He's married to Spike Milligan's daughter. I don't know what it was, you know, and he just thought like, that has absolutely nothing to do with the story. But that was the one thing the reviewer knew about that person. So like, you're kind of damned in that sense, you know, in that there's always going to be something outside that 90 minutes um, and you can't do much about it. It's the Sopranos dilemma. What happens next? <laughs> nothing. <laughs> I just in the restaurant eating. You just cut to "Don't Stop Believing" <laughs> over the closing credits of Diego Maradona. <laughs> I, I mean, again, like it, and again, this is maybe the u- unique-ish thing about like Capadia's style as a documentarian, which is like he talks about wanting to get it. He wants he wants it to be an immersive experience. He wants it to be a subjective experience, a very deliberately subjective experience, which is that thing that you mentioned, which is something that people struggle with when it comes to talking about documentarians, talking about documentaries, because as you said, we have that association between documentaries and news. Where like he wanted to place people as close as possible to Maradona to put them inside the head. My job is to show the audience what is going on with them, what it's like to be Maradona, what it is like to be Senna, what it's like to be Amy, not my opinion of them. You have to try to say, what would they think? What would they feel? What are they experiencing? What is their point of view? It's not what my point of view is. It's what their point of view is, um, which is kind of an interesting approach to making a documentary where you're, you're not trying to look at somebody so much as you're trying to look through them perhaps is that fair to say yeah i think it's fair to say but i think i mean he's not the only one who's trying to do that i suppose like just yeah. it's interesting when you you guys talk about documentary as if it's like something from mars you know i've, I've never been in a situation 340 like episodes ross 340 yeah, I mean, episodes it's, it's incredible because like basically you know i probably watch more docs than i do fictional films so like this is completely outside my experience but um yeah, I mean, there's, there's tons of people out there making incredible work that is really immersive, you know, and, and it's done in many, many different ways. Um, I mean, I love Asif Kapadia and he's a, he's a great director and a, seems like a great person and 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 so on. And he has managed to do that. I mean, it's funny because like, you know, it's quite, like I watched the Wham film over the weekend. and uh, Oh, the one on Netflix. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. It's really, really well done. And but it has that thing of like, there's no interviews, you know, and it, it's all archive. <laughs> and then, you know, actually I haven't managed to watch the Sinead O'Connor f- film yet. Um, it's going to be on. It's very good. It's coming out. It's it's, I know it's going to be available more widely very soon. But, um, you know, from what I believe, it's it's done in, in the same style again. So it's interesting how it's become, you know, synonymous with this like, oh, immersive uh, type of documentary making but I think there's there's plenty of other docs that are done in different ways that immerse you in different ways and I think the most immersive thing is good narrative isn't it I mean that you're in the moment whether that's a sort of past continuous where you're being told a story from the past or in a film where you're literally in the moment like collective which is phenomenal you know I mean so yeah the, the, every filmmaker is trying to immerse you you know particularly if they're telling stories that they hope will be in the big screen or or will be at an extended duration. That's absolutely the aim, I think. Um, and, again, and again, sorry, this is why it's great to have... Just because you guys don't watch them. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, this is this is why it's good to have somebody on who knows what they're talking about, Ross. When I say something very silly like that, you're like, no, 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 let me put this in context. But yeah, I, I kind of I do think there is something kind of in the way that it is structured and edited. Like it's a remarkably propulsive piece of narrative um that is just again very interesting to watch as a, as a story apart from that one bit which one bit the bit where he's at the staff party like i it's like the christmas party with the footballers he's not getting on with them anymore and we're talking about empathizing with a character or a person i really empathized with him in that moment it's like <laughs> this is every this is why i don't go to staff parties anymore because that's me <laughs> and then the camera's slowly <laughs> I, I presume there's zooming they're open oh, or i don't know what the phrase is Zooming in on the image rather than, you know. That's the kind of Ken Burns approach where they kind of fade everybody out. Isn't yes, it? yeah. And he just Sorry. kind of waits. And it's the longest shot in the whole thing. And as I'm looking at it, both times I stopped. I've taken notes or whatever. I just stopped to go, so yeah, yeah, Diego, me and you. Me and you, Diego. I know this feeling. It's a great use of silence as well. I, I, at least as for the, the, the way I, I, I recall there not being any kind of uh music accompanying us um, no this just goes completely silent yeah yeah which is incredible yeah i guess what well, good pacing is is about propulsion but it's also about taking your breaths as well you know and and, and having those moments yeah it's you can't really have one without the other well unless it's um unless it's uh mad max in which case you can <laughs> like but other than that you can't you know i mean it's it's um and I think he does. I mean, I think he's a master of pacing. I, I do think that. And that's obviously a collaboration with his editor as well and how they work together. But it does keep you in the moment. I mean, I've, I did. I almost feel like he fell in love with the propel, propulsion a little bit too much in this film at times where it's, you know, how much of this car chase can I watch uh, personally? But... Um, <laughs> but it's funny, that's how I felt the first time I watched it. And then I was at home one day and it, and it sort of came on and I started watching it. My wife hadn't seen it. She was sitting beside me and, and on the small screen, that didn't feel as uh, as long as I thought it felt the first time I watched it on the big screen. So, yeah, it's hard. Some of these things are just the mood you're in at the time, I suppose. Um, but yeah, he's he's a master of pacing. You have to keep in mind for me, who had no idea who Maradona was. Like it's the intercutting of the previously on segment. Yeah, are, are you serious? Is, is that is that true? Dan? I knew about the hand of God. I knew that he had touched a ball and it had gone in a goal, and England were very upset about it for decades. That's so you do know. <laughs> this is the. Thing. I mean, I feel I feel like the central point of the documentary is that this he, is that kind of like he is more than that hipstery thing about like it's like no, I'm an indoor kid. I don't <laughs> even know who Maradona kid. is. Um, the, the, you know, I I feel like there. I may have made the assumption on knowing that about Maradona that there was maybe more to know about him than that, and I would like to submit this entire film into evidence of that um but like i I didn't know much about like that 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 he wasn't meant to touch it with his hand (laughs) let me check my notes here offside question mark um but i uh, more more seriously more earnestly though it it's the 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 kind of that he's that fellow who touched the ball and then ireland got knocked out of the, the World Cup, yeah, uh, those World things Cup happened qualifier. directly in correlation. Yeah, something yeah, yeah. happened in 1990 where we got to the quarterfinals, <laughs> did we, I think? Was that the first? That is we, yeah, okay. yeah, it's in the movie. No, I, yeah, I, no I, that's how yeah. I know it. Um, that's, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, it. yeah. I, my knowledge is the continuity of Diego Maradona. That is about it. Um, but no. 
back to back to the original point though like I, that opening sequence is incredible because it brings you up to speed on everything you need to know about maradona before he arrives in naples intercutting it with a car chase it is very much a, like a previously on the life of diego maradona segment where it's like here is like are you up to speed you're up to speed you're up to speed okay we can hit the ground running and we only have to take the briefest detour into his childhood later on like they talk about him growing up in the slums uh, but it's very very brief and it gives you all the context that you need to know to go forward which i I found really again really interesting where it just it's like it is it is an arc of just go 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 um and again it gives it as connor pointed out that kind of like shakespearean tragedy aspect to it where you have the clear rise and fall where this could again almost be scripted you know this would almost be where you have all the threads coming together as, as ross pointed out in that moment in that world cup quarterfinal is it quarterfinal or semi-final with argentina and italy where like everything is just so perfectly aligned that you get all of the threads coming back to haunt him um, and everything he's forced to reckon with from his past and again this really interesting idea that like in some ways maybe he was kind of vindicated where as ross pointed out you have this throughout the movie the sense of the diego and the maradona diego is the sweet slum kid who just wants to provide for his family maradona is the personality that he creates to protect him and throughout the movie you're kind of like well maradona seems like he's a bit of an asshole uh he really seems like he's a terrible human being who does awful stuff to everybody around him and then you get to that moment in naples where you know, he says the thing where he's like, oh, I would hope that Naples would support my national team. And it becomes this national scandal where he's accused of trying to, like, commit treason against Italy, trying to get Naples to secede from Italy. Um, but you also have all this, the very people who supported and encouraged him beforehand all turning on him, all this stuff being weaponized against him. And you're like, I understand in that moment why this maradona persona exists it's it's a really great dramatic character arc i think it's also that's that, that diego maradona split it's a it's an easy in for students as well once you make the connection with like this is what we all do like i'm standing in front of you as a teacher i'm not like this at home <laughs> you know i'm not like this with my friends or i'm not like this with this person mm. and you're all acting like a, a certain way you know andrew's making the funny quips but you know maybe he's hiding some deep did some deep secret under that mustache. <laughs> sure, though. <laughs> but that's the thing. That that, that, that connection, just a real connection, because they're all teenagers. They're all kind of, they're, they're all putting on a persona. They're all putting on some kind of a mask. And as, as they get to 60, the mask slowly comes off most of them as they mature. But that's something that all understand. That and the idea that when he's on the pitch, he's, he's free. It's similar to the kind of Amy Winehouse when she's singing, she's free. And that idea... That's probably why I yeah. probably prefer Amy Winehouse, not because the boy girl thing, but mainly because the sport thing is so predominant in a lot of secondary schools. As a teacher, I'd probably prefer something that wasn't sports centered. But that idea that you can express yourself somewhere else, that don't, you know, we all express ourselves differently in different locations, different, different parts of our lives. Yeah. You don't have to, you know, right now you might not want to express yourself in English, but when you go to your French class or when you go home and do whatever hobby you have, uh, when you listen to your K-pop music or whenever you do whatever, you know, your dance routines, your TikToks and that, that self-expression. And, and that's where you can come alive. And, and that's what we should all kind of look for. And um, they're the kind of things that that I probably end up teaching and, and talking about in my classroom. Um, and, and, the, and the Diego Maradona split is a lovely way to kind of enter into that conversation. 
And in terms of like it as a documentary, like it, we, we talked a lot how it has the clear arc that you could kind of easily turn this into a fictional film. One of the advantages of it being a documentary is that you you get to see those moments of freedom. It's the same thing rewatching Amy. I rewatched uh, Senna, I rewatched Amy for this. But you get to see the actual footage of them performing. And I think it's particularly notable in Amy, where there are several sequences in Amy where he just lets her play out her demos and you get to see her sing. And she is, as you say, liberated and free through those songs. But here, watching Maradona on the pitch, like, again, I don't know the sports ball, as Andrew describes it. I'm not an expert in football. I don't watch games that often. I've watched a handful of games in my life. But I can see that technique on the field. And I can see him move and I can see the way that he intuitively understands whether the physics or the tactics or the other players, whatever understanding it is that he has, I can see it play out in a way that is just glorious to watch. Like, it, again, it, it's just really gorgeous filmmaking because it allows, as Connor said, you to bring that theme to the fore, that idea of th- that this person is rich and complex and in ways that can't always be verbalized and can't always be articulated. Um, you can just kind of see them do it. I found that the most interesting bit, and I thought that's where Diego Maradona was most kind of honest and maybe the tone of his voice seemed freest. So he was talking about how he had to change his this style and he had to tweak it this way and tweak it that way. And I couldn't go too fast, but I had to speed it up in certain sections. And that was the bit that uh, when I watched it a couple of times this week, I again, I was kind of going, oh, this is interesting. I want more of this because this, you know, you're actually speaking and he's just sounded so much more open, more honest and more interesting. And um, then we go back to his trainer. <laughs> what was it? Zero? No, Zero's the defender. Whatever the trainer's guy's <laughs> name was. He had a lot to say. Well, you, you get the sense that it's because he was willing to speak is the reason why. It's yeah. Ferdinando uh, Signorini, I believe. And I apologize for mangling that. All right. Is there anything else you want to talk about with Diego Maradona? Anything we haven't discussed already? So, um, Ross, anything you want to talk about with regards to the film? Oh, God. Um, is there anything else I want to talk about? Not, not especially um, that I can think of. I mean, I think as you as you described the film there, and you described like how it only has a small section on his on his his kind of backstory, and it's it's that thing I think, and I, I hear a lot of filmmakers kind of talking about that in terms of within documentary trying to not go backwards. You know what I mean? Not have flashbacks, not have context if you can avoid it, and remember, and to kind of can. can keep that kind of uh, contemporary story ongoing so um however you know it's a kind of always a battle within films in your mind is like you know how much context gives the rest of the story relevance you know so there's i think there's always a battle you know an expositional battle of trying to keep things in the moment but then within documentary you feel like there's something else about this person's life outside this this particular part of the story that will give um the story that you're watching a kind of a richer a richer element to it so yeah it's interesting and i think i think it's considered i suppose amongst documentary filmmakers to be more cinematic to have less exposition um and that, and that, that's absolutely the case amongst fictional filmmakers but they've got the choice of writing a script and building their own story whereas with documentary you don't have that yeah. so yeah I, th- I think that's it's an interesting part of, of the film and and you can see it across his films is the desire to try and reduce exposition to the the smallest possible quantity and I think that's something that everyone's kind of trying to do, but it, it's hard, you know, it's hard because you you feel like you want to to give that context that, that makes you understand more about this person's life outside of the narrowness 
of the unfolding story that you're telling. I mean, he he has talked about how, and again, every filmmaker does this, but specifically with his documentaries, he will show them to people who have no interest in the subject matter and just like ask Q&As afterwards to make sure that they got the essentials, that he had provided like the bare minimum of information they needed to follow along, which is again, a very interesting way of doing it. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a fascinating thing to do test screenings. I mean, it's yeah. it's... it's like one of the most frightening and rewarding things you can do at the same time. So yeah, I'm sure he does and I'm sure he gets plenty of feedback. I don't know if it's test screenings because I don't know if the studio is involved or if this is just he gathers a bunch of mates around and takes notes. Yeah. Yeah. The only way to get a true reaction though is a test screening. That's for sure. You know, to actually have strangers in a room talking about what you've done. Like it's, it's a very informative, instructive experience. I get test screenings as a teacher about three or four times a day. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i'm sure you do yeah but um in terms in terms of of other stuff again just an observation that was made by uh royu speth uh, at the new republic uh, which again is i kind of referenced earlier but i do find fascinating here here's the quote this makes for a wonderfully compact film that departs from the usual documentary formula but elides the changes that took hold of soccer just as Maradona's playing days were coming to an end. This was when FIFA, the sports governing body, had become the corrupt mafia-like organization we know today, when European clubs were seized by oligarchs from around the world, turning players into fungible investments instead of hometown heroes, when the players themselves became steeped in the ways of commerce and trade and celebrity, when they learned, in other words, how to play the game, how to get the transfer to the right club, how to pose for social media, how to manipulate as best they could the coverage for the all-seeing tabloids. All these elements were present in Naples in the 1980s, just in cruder, more localized form. The tragedy of Maradona is that he was too simple to learn how to play anything other than the soccer, and the sins for which he was punished, it turns out, were not really his, but ours. I think it's a very interesting read on on the movie and kind of why Maradona is such a subject for a documentary like this about the kind of like rise and fall of a celebrity, where it manages to capture... Could this happen today? Could Maradona is Maradona's tragedy like in soccer something that could only have happened at that moment in time? Can we? Because again, Ross, you kind of mentioned the idea of like modern, you know, the modern rise and fall of celebrity is somewhat different. Well, I think it, it, football. I mean, look, we could, I don't really want to get into a football conversation, but like okay. you know, the the athleticism of sport has has gone through the roof in the intervening time. So, for for someone to, um be able to maintain uh, as a top level athlete what you need to be able to do oh, okay. um you can't have a lifestyle like maradona had but i mean like the i suppose yeah. y- you know paul gascoigne was probably not that long after and and so on and there was still a time i suppose where the craft of these kind of geniuses could rise above the athleticism but i think i'm not again i'm not a soccer pundit but the little that i know i would suggest that you probably can't achieve that as an athlete anymore. You know, you you, you can't be um, living that kind of lifestyle and, and get to the top level. And you'd probably be weeded out much earlier. I think, it's, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's increasingly more difficult. And I think every now and then there is a kind of a a talent like Gascoigne. Or I'd, I'd kind of put Wayne Rooney in that bracket as well. Because he would always, like, as soon as the season ended, he would seem to go off to vegas put on a whole lot of weight and come back quite unfit and would get quite unfit if he wasn't playing a whole lot of games um and and that and that he was kind of in the same conversation 
as kind of Messi or Ronaldo like earlier in his career, but then just kind of faded away because in this age of football, you can't be, you know, treating your body like that, I guess. And Connor, anything you want to say? And 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 I guess like his his was a much milder version as well <laughs> of the Diego of, Maradona experience. Of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or even the 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 the, the um, Gascoigne kind of yeah yeah, or the George Best kind of like is another kind of like uh, comparison from from longer ago. But yeah, it 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 feels like it's not something. But I don't think it's something that like people ought to be romantic about either. I think there's lots of things that you can be romantic about. But to kind of lump um like Diego Maradona with all of his his uh, faults like in which like all that was golden and uh, pure and before about before, the game. Yeah, before yeah. Seth Latter arrived and uh, United Passions became it's a documentary. Um, yeah, like like the, the the there there were there was there was plenty of it before just now, you know, like all around the world, um, and uh, like it's 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 not like Sepp Blatter just kind of, as we know from United <laughs> Passions, <laughs> didn't just arrive on the scene in in the twenty first century, and then like you've like Pablo Escobar and his relationship with the Colombian. Um, uh, national team in in nineteen ninety four. I mean, Maradona played football like yeah, played football with Pablo Escobar in prison. Um, yeah, which is quite a, quite a story. Again, we'll include that in the show notes. It was like yeah, it was a great time. I went to prison. Uh, I met him. He had all the luxury items there. We played football for half an hour. It was good fun. You know how it is. Um, but Connor, is there anything in the good old days? In the good old days, when the sport was pure, Andrew, when the sport was pure, <laughs> yeah. pure like the cocaine he snorted. But, Connor, is there anything you would like to talk about with Diego Maradona? Anything we haven't discussed already? I was trying to come up with the like if I was doing themes with my class, and I was they come up with the themes, but I I like to come up with one to create a debate. So this is what I came up with: uh, Diego Maradona is about how we are all cogs in the capitalist machine. The machine that creates idol idols for us to worship and then destroys them so that they can create more. That would be up on the board at one stage. We'd have a nice little chat about that. Because uh, I think that's kind of, you know, the rise and fall of Maradona and did it happen before the best, but it happens in all kind of industries. Any kind of anything that you're going to make money on, somebody's going to use you. Well, and as soon as you're no good to them, they're going to discard you. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a recurring motif in, in all three of Capadia's documentaries, this idea of capitalism and the individual's kind of relationship to it, where in Senna, you have the idea that Senna has this incredible ability to understand and control traction. Like that's his instinctive, his technique, his craft, what makes him so good at what he does. And then you have these other companies develop these electronic kind of traction control systems where it becomes something that if you have enough money, you can buy one of these systems. And obviously they are banned. Uh, but, you know, you have the allegations, I think it was against Benetton in that season, that they were using one illegally and, and you know, surreptitiously and all this sort of stuff. And, like, the idea that maybe that makes the race more dangerous for the people doing the driving because 
Where if you're, you're racing against somebody who is using technology to give them that edge and you do not have that technology, you have to act on instinct and you have to take risks that maybe you wouldn't take otherwise. Yeah. But also the idea that, you know, it, it arguably takes the human skill involved and makes it redundant. It turns it into something that if you have enough money, you can buy and you can purchase and you can kind of squeeze the humanity out of the sport in, in a way that I think is very interesting. And obviously Amy has its own arc where Amy Winehouse is this young vulnerable woman this artist who has this you know incredible voice this incredible gift uh, but also this this vulnerability and is like systemically exploited by all of the people around her to make money i mean yeah the the movie obviously points out that the record label was fairly indifferent to her struggles with addiction as long as she got the records out on time as long as she performed when she was supposed to as long as you know she was in the public consciousness she was out doing the stuff that they needed her to do to sell records to make them all money oh, yeah. i mean even you know obviously her father is it's also presented as somebody who is just exploiting her as a way of making money and, and obviously he is and um, you know, not particularly happy with how he is presented in that documentary, but for very good reason. You have this idea that, you know, again, you know, the person as a, a resource to be exploited, a raw material to be wrung dry. And I mean, obviously, in, in Diego Maradona, you have the, the same sort of thing where he's an instrument, he's a tool to an end, he is great naples loves him when he is winning for them when he is providing them with victory yeah. and and then the moment that he fails to do so the moment that he dares to you know use that gift in service of his own team his own national team he becomes the enemy and he can be discarded and replaced the moment that he no longer fits within that machine within that mythology and i mean obviously you also have as you know film studies 101 will tell you you have gangsters here which are always 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 uh, symbolic of capitalism, always representative of capitalism uh, in its most raw and most unsettling form. The bit where the president gives out, when they've won the second league and the president gives out that they didn't win the two previous ones, you're kind of looking at him, now's not the time. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder Maradona, when they won the cup, they said, no, I'm not going yeah. to God almighty, now is not the time. Yeah. We need to talk about your bonus structure, sorry. Keep it, what does he say, keep it interesting and let some of the other teams win every now and then. Yeah, yeah, he had a good answer, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, I, I do love that kind of like the sense you get of the city's kind of love affair with him while it's happening, you know. That, yeah. that, that, I, I love that line. That sign on the grave, the you, you don't know what you missed. Yeah, yeah you don't know exactly. what you missed. That, I thought that was tremendous. But, and as well, the... Yeah. But also the, like the racism that like the the Napoli's fans experience when they travel for foreign games and you see the signs which are helpfully translated for you as well just in case you don't get yeah. how horrifically like prejudiced they are about the inhabitants of like yeah um Naples. It, it is it's a really fascinating and, sociological study. And he goes off drinking so. with the mafia and the the Napoli <laughs> and the little ultra. tree. Now I don't know much about Italian soccer, but I reckon there's some more stuff to cover right. about the fans and what the fans might have been chanting. <laughs> some far more unpleasant things I think could have been going on. But anyway, oh yeah, the <laughs> I don't think it would have been as bad as 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 what that three year old girl was. Oh, God. Yes, uh, I had, had my notes. I didn't come up naturally in the conversation. <laughs> but as a parent, I'm not too sure I'd be teaching my children to be chanting that. Uve, and then was and, and then, um, not <laughs> crazy oh, about that. <laughs> Welcome to Andrew's parenting corner. Um, don't do it, parent. All right. 
unless there's anything else we're talking about anything anybody wants to discuss i think that then about wraps it up andrew do we have any of the usual 250 tropes is this a robo well it's 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 an yeah it is a robocop movie because it's it's it it's in 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 1987 um comes to a city um to be its savior yeah um just like robocop just like robocop every great movie (laughs) has an obligatory robocop reference for us um and then smoking and food waste um i i i don't think smoking was the thing <laughs> but, <laughs> but the vice there probably was a lot of smoking <laughs> like yeah that that uh that we missed but it doesn't focus on, no on, on that i think most uh footballers smoked back then there, there was um davy ginella when he was playing for a newcastle was smoking on the back of the bus and was told like oh, you can't do that. It's bad for, like, your health. We're professional footballers. And then they all stop for fish and chips. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Um, All right, then. So what we normally do at the end of the podcast, we ask our guests for recommendations, basically their own comparative text. We're going to ask our guests to recommend a text that they think could be compared with Diego Maradona. So to give Connor, to give Ross a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. I really struggled with the assignment uh, this week, or or like as per usual, <laughs> but um, because a lot of books kind of, if you're if you're going to kind of make the most obvious association um, and and think of like other football books, like they, so many of them, uh, ones that I enjoy can be very uh, straightforward, like nonfiction like the the footballer biography and a lot of them aren't very good i do like um burkamp's one is stillness and speed and then there's other non-fiction books like brilliant orange which i thought was very good on on the whole idea of the netherlands as a, a country and its relationship with football when mm-hmm. it comes to um art and architecture okay. and johan cruyff total football and like all of, all of the 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 um all of that kind of stuff but i but i think the closest thing to the leaving search kind of um curriculum that you could that i could think of that or that one could make an argument for would be um a memoir that a, a connor mentioned and the memoir would be um just a game uh question mark uh by uh by Eamon Dunphy. I thought it was tremendously well written. It feels very kind of honest and gritty. I I feel like there is a sense in which he is a writer rather than a football player, you know, or at least I certainly kind of got that sense um, uh, uh, reading it. I I think he tells his story very well. I think he says in the in the foreword that if he were to write the book. Now there would be no question mark <laughs> in 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 the title that that's how kind of like you know uh, disillusioned he is now he's like yeah it's just a game, <laughs> but the 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 idea of uh, that it can be like the serious thing and I think it um something as well that that doesn't belong anywhere near the, the uh, leaving cert but that I did enjoy and so far I've named one thing <laughs> that I could maybe uh, um, have some argument for being there uh, but by the like, way this was your idea this restriction was your you were like we no yeah and 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 it's a good it's a good challenge but I, I just I I I 
I I may have failed. Um, <laughs> uh, but but something that I enjoyed was the Irishman abroad, which was the 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 RTE I think documentary made about um, Liam Brady, uh, which which I believe people can watch on the RTE player, if one is in Ireland or if one can, like I don't know. <laughs> use some sort of uh, means of uh, uh, pretending to be in Ireland. It's the, sto- it's the story of kind of the, the Ireland and Arsenal midfielder Liam Brady and his uh, time in Italy. Um, there's much less cocaine um, <laughs> in that one. If you were to put a percentage um, on I, how much less cocaine. <laughs> I'd say 100% less. Um, although, like, it's difficult to say, like, with certainty. <laughs> let's let's say in the high 90s. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, um, I'd enjoy that. And you get another sense of the person, kind of, if you're used to him from, like, his, his work as a pundit on RTE. Um, you get you get like quite an affectionate portrait, and it's just a nice kind of a documentary. It's it's uh, yeah. All right, and Ross, what would you recommend? What would be your uh, comparative texts? Well, it's it, uh, yeah. Look, I mean, I totally failed as well. So, um, <laughs> I do like David Winner. He's an excellent author, and and uh, the books that Andrew mentioned are very good books. You know, I guess I feel like you can't separate this film from the other two films that he's made. And I, I think it's not really, is it a comparative text per se or not? I don't know. But the, I think if you're taking this film and, and you're interested in looking beyond it, I think those those two other films are probably very interesting to, to put alongside it in terms of, of you know, Senna is, is such a different character to Maradona, also coming from South America, also absolutely adored in his home country, coming from a rich background, he said that that was one of his issues doing Maradona was like, I can't do this right away. I can't be the South American sports person documentarian. Yeah. And it's funny. I think uh, like I probably, yeah, actually I can't tell you that. Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay, um, okay. Yeah. Um, sorry. There's something that, that I, I know about some of these things that I, I can't share, but anyway, the, um, yeah. And, and I suppose like Amy then, you know, the whole destructive element of Amy and the things that you mentioned very recently as you're speaking in, in terms of, um, Connor, you know, uh, how people get built up and then torn down, you know, loved and then hated. Like it, it's, it's such a disgraceful part of human nature. And, uh, mm. but to see, you know, Maradona and Amy very much fit alongside each other in that respect. So to compare and contrast the three films, I think it's absolutely fascinating. Um, beyond that, I don't really have something that's grabbed me. I mean, you talk about sports biography. I just don't think of that as like, how, how could you compare? Like it's, yeah. you can look at the fall of Tiger Woods, but like, I'd love to have found something fictional to to kind of put it alongside, but um, it just didn't come up with anything. All right. And Connor, what about yourself? My first one was stolen from a friend of mine, Mikey Mealy, because he does presentations on comparing uh, comparing Diego Maradona with Macbeth. So I thought, well, I'll just steal that. That's a great idea because they're similar, yeah. similar arcs. It's good, isn't it? I, yeah. should have said, I should have said that Mikey came up with it. I should have just lied and pretended it was me. But no, it's, uh, so which works works perfectly in a number of different ways. Um, I think you've set up an Edinburgh cap- Fringe show. You've pitched an Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was the, the other two are Modern Times, isn't it? Uh, Modern Times, Chaplin, I thought would be interesting and kind of going along with my capitalist theme. 
And then um, just today, it occurred to me that uh, Sinead O'Connor's biography or uh, memoir autobiography would be interesting in terms of Diego Maradona being, I'm, he, he's Diego or he's Maradona. Uh, he's trying to hide who he is in some kind of way, whereas uh, Sinead O'Connor tried to not hide who she was at all times, tried to be exactly, this is who I am, like it or lump it. This is the truth. This is the reality. And I thought that would make an interesting uh, comparison between the two. And I will shout out that documentary from last year, Nothing Compares, which is the um, Sinead O'Connor documentary, which is fascinating to watch. And it's it's somewhat like, again, it, it's like the, the woman at its center, almost an act of defiance, where I believe the prince estate refused the rights to use Nothing Compares to you in the documentary. So they just titled it Nothing Compares, um, which was kind of, again, a very... A wonderful move from the team there as well. Uh, for myself, I am also going to flat out cheat in answering this question. <laughs> Ross mentioned the two other documentaries. Those are fascinating watches. Um, I will also say that I think like 2019 was a banner year for documentary documentaries. I say as somebody who, as Ross has pointed out, you know, doesn't necessarily know the form as well as I should. But I think you had that year you had, we mentioned Amazing Grace, which is just the Aretha Franklin concert film, uh, which is just stunning. It, it's just a stunning experience to watch. Apollo 11, um, which I saw on IMAX and is just an amazing experience, which I wholeheartedly recommend. And then They Shall Not Grow Old, which is a massively controversial quote-unquote documentary from Peter Jackson using colorized footage of the First World War, opening up all sorts of debates about what is and isn't real, what counts as a documentary and what counts as history, and the manipulation of imagery in order to present something resembling reality, uh, which would be a fun discussion to have, I think, in, if we're talking about documentaries as narratives and the idea of them being subjective rather than objective text. Sorry, yeah. Andrew. If, if you use archive footage of World War One and then play out Change. the bits that you've missed using AI... <laughs> um, is that really um, yeah yeah it's, it's, so, it's somewhat pointed uh, contemporary like reference this, here yeah the soldiers um, don't see anything from that yeah. really uh, <laughs> yeah i mean it is fascinating that we are going to be covering on the waterfront uh, in the midst of an ongoing wga and sag strike in hollywood all right Thank you very much. Um, but first of all, so Ross, if people are looking for a bit more Ross Whitaker in their lives, where can they find you? Watch out, watch you up to. I guess probably Twitter is a place where I would interact mostly. Um, and then... I think you mean X. X. Jesus, I'm not saying that. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that for the first time today. Yeah. It's, it's... <laughs> it's appearing on my Twitter. Thing. I mean, look, I mean, maybe Elon Musk's... Um, taking on Twitter is going to be the comparative text of Diego Maradona of just taking something that was going quite well and destroying it completely. I think this man is going to save the world. Uh, we love yeah. him. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he got one of my students to design the exit. I'm pretty sure it's one of my second year students. It's an it. astonishing, astonishing display of, of destruction um, and and how to make a lot of money disappear in a very short amount of time, isn't it? But uh, uh, yeah, I guess I, it's the opening scene of that cut against him carrying in the sink to an intense oh gosh, like, soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The propulsive, <laughs> the propulsive. <laughs> of, yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, no, I mean, I guess on Twitter and, and then like uh, a lot of my work is out there in different places, I suppose. Um, 
Uh, I was going to say, if we want to watch a, a Ross Whitaker documentary or a film, one of your narrative films either. But, yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, if people are listening in Ireland, I think Katie is is actually back on the RTE player. Uh, they acquired it again. So it's it's showing there and it's, it's showing probably available on various streaming places in, in different countries via your normal kind of, um, you know, transactional video on demand. You can find Katie, I suppose. That's the most international one between land and sea, I think is on various platforms around the world. Um and yeah, follow me on Twitter and I'll, I'm always going on about myself. So uh, yeah, you can find out a bit more there too. And I, I would recommend both of those, obviously. I think Katie is rightfully and internationally acclaimed. Um, I also love Beyond, uh, Between Land and Sea. Thanks. Um, I, I think I saw that at the i5 when it opened. It was really, really good. Um, all right. And Connor, where can we find you? Watch out. Watch up to. At Connor Smurf on Twitter until it implodes. Got it, really. All right, then. Uh, you can follow the podcast at, at the 250. We'll be back next week. We'll be continuing our journey through the Leaving Cert films. Connor will be joining us yet again. The fantastic actor, director, college professor, Natasha Wall, will be joining us for a discussion of Mustang. So you can join us then. Thank you so much, Ross, for your time. This has been a delight. No problem. Thank you very much, guys. Take care, guys. Thank I, you. I, no, I really enjoyed that. I also now kind of want to know so off mic what that thing was, but we can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you. Let me stop the recording. Two seconds. This is, uh, this is entrapment, Derek. <laughs> I, I, I know. <laughs>